0: Amen, y'all. Hey, my name is Aaron Gregory. I'm one of the pastors here. Super excited that you came out. Listen, we got some rain last night, so let's give some God glory for that. Yeah. And it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? So uh, there's three important people that I want to kind of see who's in the room here. So first off, we have, (laughs) if you are rooting for the Chiefs, Let me hear you this morning. (laughs) All right. Hey, if you're rooting for the 49ers, let me hear you this morning. (laughs) Rooting for Brock Purdy and Mr. Irrelevant. Picked last in his draft class, playing for the Super Bowl. And then the third group is equally as excited about tonight, right? So if you are more worried that Taylor Swift made it from Tokyo, Japan to Las Vegas, Nevada so that she could see Travis Kelsey potentially catch a touchdown tonight, let me hear you this morning. <laughs> some Swifties in the house for sure. So I forgot to mention first service and somebody reminded me, but also yeah, in the middle of two quarters there is an Usher concert, but uh, some of y'all may not watch that anyway. So. It's going to be really good. But this morning, I'm glad you came out. I'm glad you started your Super Bowl Sunday with us. Um, Last week, Pastor Kirk kicked off a series on Daniel. So if you missed that message, you should go back and listen to it. He set up the book of Daniel, talked about the historical context, um, and got us ready for that series. We're going to take a pause on Daniel, though, today, and come back to it next week. So that means that gives you plenty of time to get the Bible study book, if you haven't already, to follow along with the sermon series. We will hit Daniel 1 next week, but today... We're going to be in Psalm chapter 90. If you have your Bible, Psalm chapter 90, that's in the middle of your Bible. Almost if you split the Bible in the middle, you'll find Psalm chapter 90. And we're going to be talking about how you use your time. How you use your time. And the way that we're going to kick off is uh, a few years back, I uh, saw a study done by the Huffington Post. The Huffington Post is a is a news outlet, but they did some research on how we use an average 80 year lifespan and what that looks like broken out. So most men and women on average in the US will live to be 80 years old, right? And across your 80 years, this is how on average you spend your lifetime. Number one, you spend about 33 years in bed, right? Isn't that wild? 33 years in bed, and it's broken out even further that 26 years of those 33 is sleeping while seven years is spent trying to go to sleep, which I think is so funny, because I don't know about your relationship, but in my marriage, I am that person who, when I hit the pillow, the battle is over, right? It takes me .0045 seconds to fall asleep, but my wife, on the other hand, man, it's an hour long, the fuser has to be on, the fan has to be the right speed, it has to be dark in the room, the temperature has to be just right, and then she'll toss and turn for an hour, battling those intrusive thoughts, Finally, go to sleep, look over, and I'm cranking it in my second REM cycle. So, for her, she's on the higher end of the seven years, for me, I'm on the lower end. But 33 years in bed, so the next one is this. You spend about 13 years of your life working, 13 years of your life working. And of those 13 years, one year is unpaid overtime, doing things you weren't asked to do or paid to do. 13 years of your life working. This next one is kind of shocking for sure. Um, You spend about 11 years of your life on a screen. 11 years of your life on a screen. That's about 15% of your life is spent scrolling Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, X, Twitter, whatever they're calling it nowadays. Binge watching Netflix, Hulu Live, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, Prime Video. Whatever it is, 15% of your life, 11 years, is spent on a screen, and then the younger you are, the higher that number goes, right? So the next one is four and a half years of your life is spent eating. Four and a half years of your life is putting food in your pie hole. Isn't that wild? Four and a half years of your life is eating. The next one is this. Spend about a year of your life exercising. For some of you, you're like, bro, it ain't no way that's a year, for sure. Um, and then the last one I thought was really funny. 10 months of your life, almost a year of your life, is spent in the bathroom, whether it's showering, brushing your teeth, hiding from your family, or doing your business on the throne, either way, almost a year of your life in the bathroom. So if you dial it all in, right, take it all away, time in bed, working, screen time, eating, exercising, bathroom time, whatever, you only have about eight and a half years of your life for leisure time. Eight and a half years of your life for things that you want to do. Family time, friend time, vacation time, hobbies, whatever it is, eight and a half years of your life doing the things that you want to do. So the reason why this matters is that ultimately this shows us that we have a short amount of time here on earth. Our life is quick and really we don't have a whole lot of time to use our time for something important, right? What's crazy is, honestly, you only have about 47 years of your life that you're even upright and mobile to do something significant. And even further than that, do you even have time to do anything else? So this doesn't really shock us in our culture because we are consumed by our time. Right? We talk about time, like uh, we, we look at our clocks all the time, we, we act like we're out of time or we wish we had more time, or when you get to the end of your life, you might spend a lot of money to prolong your time. We view time as if it is an asset, and I would say it is our greatest asset. We say things like, we're spending time, we're wasting time, we are um, <laughs> investing time, we're Time could be flying by or creeping along. Even how you view time shows how you view yourself. And what I mean by that is a lot of times, counting myself in this, we act as if our significance is tied to our busyness. We act as if our significance is tied to our busyness. Because you know that person that every time you meet them or talk to them, you're like, hey, how's it going? You're like, bro, I'm just so busy, man. So busy, I'm just running around, I'm doing all the things. The thing is, that might be true, but to some degree, we act as if what we do is, makes us more important, right? We carry around our busyness like it's a badge of honor and our, our tiredness like it's a trophy because we're afraid that if somebody looked at us and we weren't doing enough, we wouldn't be important enough in the eyes of people, right? And so we view time as if we are ruled by it. And what's interesting is scripture uses a lot of pages of the Bible to talk about time. So for example, Psalm um, 39, I almost said 49, 39 verse four says this. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand breadth. There we go. The span of my years is as nothing before you. And it goes on. It says this, everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. Basically, our life is like a moving shadow. In vain, we rush about trying to do all these things, heaping up wealth without knowing where it'll be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. And we have James 4, 14. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He says this, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And then we see this in Lamentations to close this out. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion and his mercy never fail. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. So each morning, every day, every moment, you have breath in your lungs is a gift from God. The fact that you're even here is a gift. And I know for some of you, you're like, bro, it doesn't feel like a gift because I had to fight my family to get out of bed. You know, I was chucking donuts at my kids to get them out the door. I barely made it here. But the fact that you are here, alive and breathing, to get an opportunity to worship Jesus, that's a gift. And a time that we have is a gift from Him. And it's not just an opportunity to live for us, but to live for something more significant Than ourselves and so as we head into our conversation about time today I wanted to be on the page same page about two things two biblical realities and cultural realities about time that helps frame this conversation so the first thing is this two biblical realities two cultural realities number one your time is short that's very simple your time is short and because the first thing is true the second thing is true and it's this your time is valuable and here's the gist If you see how little time you have left, hopefully you will make the most of the time you have now. If you see how little time you have left, you'll make the most of the time you have now. Not only do you care about how you spend your time, but God cares as well. Which leads us to our big idea today. If you take nothing else from this message, I hope you would take this big idea. That if you aren't giving God your time, then you are wasting your time. If you aren't giving God your time, you're wasting your time. Because at the end of your life, you will regret not giving God more of your time. So we're gonna be in Psalm 90 today. Psalm 90 is gonna help us see this idea a little bit about time. Um, And so if you're there, that's great. It's gonna be on the screen. Let me give you some context though. So Psalm 90 is actually written by a guy named Moses. And if you're unfamiliar with scripture, um, psalm basically there's a book of psalms in the middle of the Bible. A psalm is a prayer song to God. Basically, if you were praying to God, you wrote it down in a song and then you sang it to him, that 's what a psalm is. And a lot of different psalms are written by different people, but this one is written by Moses, pretty famous guy in the Bible. He lived to be about 120 years old. Look at your neighbor and say, 120 years old. There you go. That's an old dude, right? He's seen some stuff. So 120 years old, the first 40 years of his life, he lived as an adopted Egyptian prince, which meant that the first 40 years of his life, childhood, teenage years, young adulthood to 40 years old, he was living his best life. He was living that bougie life, right? He had everything he could ever ask for, wealth, status, power, authority, comfort. He had, in his first 40 years of his life, everything that we would spend our entire life chasing after. Everything he could ever want, physically, materialistically. He lived as an adopted Egyptian prince, literally living in the household of the most powerful man on the planet. And then right around the age of 40, like most men, He had a midlife crisis, right? Right around the age of 40, um, he recognized he was adopted. He's a Hebrew man, a Jewish man. He looks out across all of Egypt and sees the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, God's chosen people, are enslaved, oppressed, beaten, and, and brutally attacked. And then he recognized, like, somebody needs to do something about this. And then he realized, oh, wait, that's me. So it kinda shook him up to his core. He had a fatal case of purpose. He made a decision to step out and do something about it. The question he wrestled with is really a question we wrestle with. He asked himself, do I stay in my life of luxury and wealth while turning a blind eye to the oppression, or do I do something about what I've seen? Or the question you are asking yourself today is do I use my time to be faithful and obedient to God or do I stay in my complacency, my comfortability, and my apathy? Do I do nothing with my time and just waste it?" And so he steps out, has an altercation with a couple of guards, and in the, in the heat of the moment, he actually kills one of the Egyptian guards, he flees Egypt, gives up all of his wealth, status, and power, heads out to the wilderness, and lives the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd. So he went from 40 years of his life with everything And then 40 years of his life as a shepherd, living alone, isolated, doing tedious manual labor, not really having a whole lot, until, if you're familiar with the story, in the wilderness, God gives Moses his life purpose. God tells Moses to go back to Egypt, to stand up to Pharaoh, to lead the Jewish people out of slavery and bondage. They escape across the parted Red Sea, straight into the wilderness, onto the promised land, and the rest is history, right? Right? So, with that backdrop, the reason why I shared that story is because Moses is writing this psalm at the later part of his life with that context, talking about time. We see this. Psalm 90, verse 1 goes here. Lord, you have been our, and this is the key phrase, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And the reason why that matters is because he is writing this from the wilderness. So they made it out to the wilderness. They're heading onto the promised land. um, And they end up wandering the desert for 40 years. So think about that. They didn't have a permanent structure. They didn't have a house. They're wandering the desert. They didn't have a home, right? They're a nomadic, wandering people. And so when he writes this, he's basically saying, God, we didn't have a physical home, but the whole time you have been our home. And that's so important for you today because I don't know where you live physically, where you live in the area, what your living situation looks like, but spiritually, your home is God. That feeling of being seen and loved and satisfied and accepted with arms wide open, that feeling that when you have a hard day, right, you make it home, you finally put on your soft clothes and your jam-jams, you sit on the couch, you take a breath, and you're like, man, I'm here, I've arrived, that same feeling spiritually is who god is to us as our father right he's our dwelling place throughout all generations he is our home he is our refuge verse two says this before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting you are god meaning that he is the creator of all things If you have any questions about that, I mean, I think it's pretty easy to look out into the world and see that there is an intelligent designer, that our God, who is the creator of all things, the king of the universe, spoke the world into existence with the breath. He said, let there be light. He set the earth and the moon the right distance from apart. He gave us the right measure of gravity so we don't fly off the planet. He set us just far enough from the sun that we don't burn to death there. He is the creator God, majestic and powerful and sovereign. But yet, at the same time, he knows you intimately. He created all things and then thought the world needs one of you. Isn't that crazy? Because in Psalm 139, it says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. Meaning there was intentionality in how he created you. And so in that light, knowing that he is eternal, he loves you, You are born into his eternity story, right? You have a part and a piece to play in the things that he is doing throughout all of history here from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. Verse three says this, it's kind of a weird phrase. It says, you turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals, which sounds like Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, if any Lord of the Rings fans out there. And it says, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night, Which basically a thousand of our years are like a day to God. Or like three hours, which is like a watch in the night, which basically is telling us that God has an eternal view of time. All we do is we see this. Like we're making decisions, like I have decisions about like this Friday or next week or the next month, or goals I want to make for this year, but God's looking at all of it. He sees all of our life, he sees all of our futures. He has an eternal perspective and he has a long-range view of time, but he can also use what little time we have for greater impact and purpose. So we skip ahead um, because all of these verses are leading to verse 10. It says this, our days may come, which is so relevant, right? The Bible is so relevant to our life right now. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of our life are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. And then verse 11, everything's been building towards verse 11. It says this, which, sidebar, if you read Scripture, and I hope you do because it's the Word of God, it's God's breath, it teaches us, it grows us, that's how He speaks to us. But when you read Scripture sometimes, there's, a, there's moments where you'll read and you're like, okay, I'm tracking with you, God, this makes sense. And then you read something and you're like, bro, you lost me. Like this has, I don't know what you mean by that. Like, this is crazy. This is one of those verses that when I read the first time, I don't really understand what it meant until I read it again. So it says, If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that you are due. Which is a weird statement. I really use those words in succession like that in my own vocabulary. But basically what that means is, if we could see God for how big he is, if we could see God for how just he is, then we would give him the time, the attention, and the love he deserves. And that's the, that's the gist of today, man. If you could see how big God is, how much he loves you, how much he loved you enough to send his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, all of your disobedience, all of every moment that you've wasted taking the breath that he has given you and squandering it on your own life— instead of turning and loving him, following him, and giving your time to him, all that disobedience, all of that sin was poured out on Jesus. He lived the perfect life, the life we couldn't live, died the death that we deserved because of our sin and disobedience, and rose again in victory. Now we have new life and eternal life when we confess Jesus is Lord. And when we recognize that and see that eternity story that he is weaving for your life and all of our lives, we see the beauty of who he is, his majesty and love, we would give every moment of every day to him. That's the encouragement to you today, to give every second of every moment that you have available to Jesus. And finally, verse 12 says this. This is the prayer. This is the ask. God, teach us to number our days so that we would gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to use our time wisely. Teach us to recognize that the time we have left should help us use our time now wisely. We need to give, our, give God our time. Now, the question is, I know for many of you, you're like, bro, I get this, right? I get that life is short. I get that life is valuable. I understand I need to give God my time. But the question you're asking is, what does this look like? Like, what do I do today? How can I practically apply this to my life? How do I invest my time wisely? How do I give God My time, And thankfully, Scripture gives us answers to those questions. Moses gives us three things at the end of this passage, practical application to put into our life over the next few verses. So this is how we use our time wisely. This is how we give God our time. This is what Moses says in the last three verses. Um, Number one, if we're going to use our time wisely and give God our time, then very simply, we need to spend time with Jesus. Verse 14 says this, Satisfy, which I highlighted in my Bible, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. The reason why I highlighted satisfaction, satisfy and gladness is because those are things that we are seeking. I know for some of you, you're like, man, I'm not satisfied with my life. I'm not satisfied with my job, I'm not satisfied with my home, I'm not satisfied with my circumstances. And the truth is, the only way you will find satisfaction is in a relationship with Jesus. He alone can satisfy. If you're looking for hope, that can be found in Jesus. If you're looking for joy, that can be found in Jesus. The only way you find joy, the only way you find hope is in Jesus. If you're looking for eternal love, you'll find it from an eternal savior. You have to spend time with him to find it, though. The way I would describe it is like this. My wife and I, we got married nine years ago. And uh, nine years ago, a little more than nine years ago, I proposed. She said yes, praise the Lord. Um, and then we set a date and time, we got all the colors picked out, the venue picked out, asked a pastor friend of ours to marry us, we invited our family and friends, got our bridesmaid and groomsmen, um, all begrudgingly ready to go, and uh, we showed up to the venue, right? And all of our family sitting around, we make it to the altar, and by the time you know we end, we do our vows, which many of you who are married did your vows, and ultimately it's kinda like, um, You know, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, and the last phrase is, till death do us part. But our wedding would have been really weird if, in view of all of our family, we said, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, till the end of the wedding. The end. All right. Have fun. We're doing it. You know? And then we strolled out to all the flowers and everything like that. Or if we said, to the end of the honeymoon, that's when I vow to love you. That would have been really weird. Our family would have been like, dude, give us a refund on our travel. This is dumb, right? Why did we come out to see this? And the reason why that's dumb is because a marriage amounts to more than the wedding day. Right? The wedding day is the beginning of a lifelong of obedience and faithfulness, loving each other forever. And in the same way, when you come to faith in Jesus, when you confess that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, when you are saved, when you say, I'm all in with Jesus... You haven't arrived, you've only begun, right? There is more to life, there is more to your faith than just when you said, I'm all in with Jesus. You begin a lifetime of following him, trusting him, believing in him, one prayer at a time, one service at a time, one act of service at a time, one trial at a time, one season at a time, loving Jesus along the way. It takes you spending intentional time with Jesus. The key to finding satisfaction in this life is spending consistent time with the Savior. Number one. Number two, to invest your time wisely and give God your time, you need to know that your troubles are momentary. Your troubles are momentary. Verse 15 says this, make us, this is a weird word right here, make, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. I mean, think about the context of where he's writing this, right? Like he, um, Moses does the 40 years in Egypt. He's experienced all the wealth status, power, fulfillment that the world could possibly offer. Another 40 years slugging it out as a shepherd. He leads the people out of Egypt straight into uh, what he thinks is going to be the promised land. They're roaming the desert for 40 years. And then if you know Moses's story, the Israelite people finally get to the end. They're about to enter the promised land and Moses doesn't get to go. He, I mean, that would be disappointing if I was Moses. Lead them all the way to the promised land and he doesn't get to go. He hands it off to Joshua and Joshua leads the people into the promised land. And then he ends up dying in the wilderness. And in spite of all of that difficulty, Along the way, God was faithful to show up, to provide food for them, to provide his word in the wilderness. God protected the people. And literally, Moses got to meet with God in person on Mount Sinai, which is crazy. So all along the way, God was faithful to Moses, and his response to God's faithfulness was gladness. And that's the same reaction we have. If God has been faithful to you, your response is gladness. We see that also in Paul's writing in the New Testament. He writes to the Corinthian Church. we're about to read this here in a moment. But in first and Second Corinthians, Paul talks about that he was lashed 200 times. He was beaten, he was nearly stoned to death. He was shipwrecked, he was snake-bitten. Uh, he was adrift at sea without food and water. I mean, bro had been through it, right? Like he had been through some hard stuff, and he writes this um, to the Corinthian church. It says, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. I know some of you might be feeling outwardly, I feel like my life is wasting away. Yet inwardly we're being renewed, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes not on the things we are going through because here's what's going to happen. And I'm living this. I have lived this. When you go through stuff, if you spend all of your time focused on the hardship that you're going through, you will waste your time, waste your life being angry and bitter and working through all these different types of issues. Instead, lift your eyes to Jesus. You can trust him in your trial. He can bring hope in your heartache, and he can show his goodness in your grief. And I say that because my wife and I, we've gone through years of infertility and loss and recently had to say bye to a baby that we loved. And all the while, we had lots of friends walk away in our hardest moments But in all of it, the one thing that remained is that God is faithful to us. He's faithful to you. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on God. He is loving and kind. He will carry you through your troubles. And in light of eternity, what you are going through is light and momentary. Because at the end of your life, you're going to spend time with Jesus for all eternity with no pain, no crying, no mourning anymore. It's going to be goodness, satisfaction, and wholeness in Jesus. And so the last thing is this. If you're going to invest your time wisely and give it to God, you need to invest your time in people. Psalm ninety sixteen says this. May your deeds be shown to your servants and your splendor to their children. God, what you do, let it be seen and known to your people. So if you're going to use your time wisely and the breath in your lungs, the experiences you have, invest time in people. I know your kids can be turds sometimes, but your your kids are a gift. So use your time that you have with them in your home to teach them about Jesus. Worship with them. Point them to Jesus, read bedtime stories from the Bible, dinner time, pray together. If you're on the way in your van from one practice to a dance recital, talk about what God has been doing in your life. Talk about how faithful He's been, how the Holy Spirit has been moving in your life, how He has shown Himself to be good to you. Teach that to your kids. If you love God, your kids should see that you love God. So invest in your kids and invest in your marriage. I know for some of you, you're like, dude, my husband's a turd too, so I don't know what you're talking about, kids, but you and your spouse have been brought together for a purpose. And I think, and I don't have time to go into this, but I think a lot of times we spend more time wishing for the spouse that we wanted rather than celebrating the spouse we have. We spend time wishing for the spouse we wanted rather than celebrating the spouse we have. So invest time in your marriage. Date. Love, serve, connect, spend time together, intentional time. Because when those kids leave your house, that's all you got, is you and your spouse. Use your time to invest in people. And ultimately, if you give God your time, if you place your perspective on eternity, if you spend consistent time with Jesus, if you recognize that your pain is momentary and light and that God can carry you through, and if you invest time in people, what will happen is at the end of your life... As you look back across your days, you're going to be surrounded by the people that you have poured into and pointed to Jesus, the legacy of faith that is built up in your life. And you're going to take your last breath and go home and see Jesus. And if you've done all these things, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the prayer. That's the hope. You would use your time wisely, build a legacy of faith and not waste your life. So I'm going to pray for us. If you have prayer requests or things to lift up in prayer or things to talk about, we have our prayer team on the sides here in a moment as we finish out in worship. And I would encourage you to stick around and worship God because he is worthy of our praise because he's given you today. He's given you right now to worship him. So let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you. God, you are so faithful to us. The fact that you are so big and mighty and sovereign and majestic and awesome, that you're sitting on your throne and you've spoke all things into existence and you're creator and king of the universe. And yet, even in that, you made us. You didn't just make us, but you love us and love us enough that while we were still sinners, while we were still disobedient, broken, far from you, you sent Christ to die for us as a marker, as a symbol, as a sacrifice, as, a, um, as something we can look at for all eternity, seeing your eternal love for us. And so God, with our breath and life, God, I pray that we wouldn't waste our time scrolling or doing all kinds of other things that ultimately are not that important, that are not really what you want for us, what your best is for us. I pray that we would give our time, our attention, our heart, our breath to you, that we would pour into the people that you've given us. We would trust you through the trial and we would find hope for the future in you. I pray right now for all the families in the room, God, that we would leave today and use whatever time we have today, starting right now, to point people to you, to worship you with our time, to give our lives to you. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for you. I'm thankful for today that you've given us new mercies this morning. And great is your faithfulness. I pray this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said...